Discord is rocking and rolling. Who wrote that? It's got to be you now. With the Recipe Club cook-along. Ooh, it's rocking and rolling so hard. Discount codes galore for all of our partners, such as Athletic Brewing, the best be- one of the best beverages, Commentier Coffee, Any Day, Microwave Cookware, and of course, all things Momofuku, get your Momofuku pantry items and instant noodles, etc. Uh, discount codes available via Discord, and you can vote for your favorite MDM summer playlist, exclamation point, exclamation point. Members of MDM staff have compiled their summer playlist and have uploaded them to the Discord, and you can find our picks and vote on your favorite. I'm going to lose anyway. Not true. Sign up for Discord where you can just tool on me. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm coming back for all of you. They're coming. They, they like to pick on the winners. Yeah, they like to just pick on me all the time. HR Hot Zone. You should just tell them. I'm so scared to get in there. Given, given my track record as an HR Hot Zone, God only knows what I might say to these people. I'm not. I'm only responding in gifts now. <laughs> uh, anyway, sign up for Discord. Um, and also, again, once again, last night, very surprised that people forget that people listen to this podcast. People that I don't expect to listen to the podcast. Yeah, we, we met a couple of that, that shocked us with how dedicated they are as listeners. Yeah. And for somebody that's listening, you're a crazy person for bringing all those goddamn bagels in your suitcase. <laughs> you know who you are. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. It's real cash that never expires or loses value. Apply for Apple Card in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Daily cash is available via Apple Cash Card. Issued by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC, or as a statement credit. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Demo Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. Um, we're supposed to do a 10-song MDM playlist. This, this was your assignment. It was? You, you assigned this to That must have been bizarro, Dave. <laughs> Did we, we talk about this on the air or not? We were doing a 10-song... 10, 10 songs plus one. Yeah, that was... <laughs> the, reason, the way you know that you came up with this was that it's 10 songs plus one. It's a minus Baker's dozen. It's a negative. Um, <laughs> it says here you've been in agony editing over this playlist. I'll tell you right now, I haven't done my work at all. I haven't done anything. When is it due? I think it was due like two and a half weeks ago. I, I can't see, you know, preyed upon what he recognized as my inability not to do my homework. You know, when Noella working on it, Gabby is working on it. Uh, Ira turned it in on deadline. You know, has two playlists. Uh, quote, I will lose my job if I post this one because practically all of these artists have problematic lyrics and or troubling legal histories version. What kind of summer are you living, you know? Summer of dystopia. <laughs> Jeez, buddy. Um, and Chris Chen, again, refuses to recycle or throw garbage away in a 
impactful way. And he's refused to acknowledge the existence of this assignment despite multiple emails. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's above the law. It's a peaceful protest, I guess. I'm just going to tell you right now what my playlist is as uh, someone that didn't do the assignment yet. Maybe I won't have to. Yeah. What do you got? Because, listen, the Discord community, they're not going to vote for me anyway. I believe that. I don't know why they even listen to this. It is a meritocracy, and I believe that the, the, the best playlist will rise to the top. But what is your game plan here? I'm just going to do all songs. This is going to get me in trouble, but it's a really good one. The best of Steve Miller band. <laughs> okay. I mean, sure. That makes a lot of sense. The best summer music and just do the greatest hits. Okay, fine. One through 10 are very, very strong. <sighs> I guess this is not a creativity <laughs> competition. No, but listen, if someone puts that on, you're like, I haven't listened to this since I was 12 years old. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good for... Okay, so let me ask you this. I don't think we've talked about this on the show. What are we defining as a summer playlist? What's a summer playlist? Steve Miller Band, I think, sums it up. But what does that mean? No, I think this is where we... This is the problem in in some ways. This idea of summer, right? How it's been homogenized to be this uplifting, upbeat, or very like a pop... It's very popular music. Mm Mm-hmm. Song of the summer. This is going to be the, Not the just song, song of the summer, summer, but it could be a song that is just upbeat lyrics, like Cecilia by Simon and Garfunkel. I would think would be a sure. summer song, sure. right? Um, Brown Eyed Girl by Van Morris. <laughs> yes. Those kinds of songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even like For What It's Worth by Buffalo Springfield. Uh huh. Right? Could be seen as a lower tempo, but a summer song. Sure. Right? Then you have. You know, classic rock bands I would say like ZZ Top, mm-hmm. even throw in some of the 80s, Def Leppard, you know, Van Halen, not Van Hagar. Mm-hmm. Although the Van Hagar 5150 has summer, summer music, summertime. Song. Right. This is interesting because these are across different genres. There's not a defining sound to the summer. But is a summer song have to have the word summer in it? No. I think I think that uh, those are is that two on the nose? I docked so I haven't looked at the other MDM staffers playlists, but I did my best to avoid, I think I avoided songs that have the word summer in it. Because what's the point of just Googling or Spotifying, excuse me, summer and just picking 10 songs with the word summer in it? That means nothing. I think the songs are but do you disagree that they should be a little poppy? A little, you would listen to them outside. They're all like a little horny. These songs, these summer songs are a little horny. Horny? Yeah. They all have like a little like summer loving thing happening. God, I'm an HR hot summer. I gotta get out of here. Wow. That's what I, that's what I define. It's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's summer of, summer of possibility. I would probably say summer playlist is something that makes you feel good and happy and upbeat, right? Um, but like a lot of people consider summer music to be the populist stuff from the 60s and 70s and 80s. Yes. You almost always have to have that, right? Um, now, is it summer to put in songs, pop songs from the late 90s and aughts? I've got some. I think I've got I've got one or two from, I've got like, 
Smashing Pumpkins, 1979. That is not a summer song. That is a quintessential summer song. 1979, quintessential summer song. Maybe because of the music video. You disagree with this? All right. What is the what is the parameters? People are going to argue about this on on Discord. I would go elsewhere. So many other bands before I put Smashing Pumpkins. I didn't put a bunch of Smashing Pumpkins. Sonny's Dream is the best, most underrated album of all time. It is. You see one of those? Are you one of those? Yes. Yes, I am. It is. Uh, what is the melancholy and the <laughs> infinite whatever of sadness? What a right. What I guess it's joke it, it, doesn't, it doesn't scream summer. Sure, but what do you think is a winning playlist? Something that you would put on as you were hanging out during the summer? Barbecue. I mean, there are different kinds of summer playlists. There's outdoor summer playlists and there's indoor summer playlists. An indoor summer playlist feels a lot like you're in a uh, an arena. What is an indoor summer playlist? I have no idea. I just made that. <laughs> for me, a playlist, for me, it's synonymous a little bit. Tell me if you disagree. It's a little road tripping music, I think. I think of that as summer music. Being out there, the wind in your hair, <laughs> just playing some tunes. No? 1979. Come on, it's a good song. Um, it is not. I, I, so all of that same ilk of the 90s and 2000s, I think I also have Heavy Metal Drummer by Wilco. Do you consider that a summer song? No. What? They actually have an album called Summer Teeth. <laughs> but I a whole love, album based on summer music. Hanging fruit. Uh, a whole album is based on summer music. Heavy Metal Drummer is for, you know. It's got summer in the lyrics. It's a beat. Vampire no. Weekend. Also summary. All my shit is all my shit is nineties and two thousands. Actually, we'll are see. You, are you, hey, Chris is just leaving the sorority of Delta 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 with his Capri pants. Smoking Parliament cigarettes. That's my exact summer. Just boot shoes. <laughs> A lot of gin and tonics for you, buddy. This is my summer. This is it is my literally the Vampire Weekend song I picked is Cape Cod Quasa Quasa. It's just very. It's very, uh, I'm so disappointed in you. Listen, man, the truth is I only listen to kids music now. I don't know anything. You've got a very deep musical, uh, and eclectic taste. I used to listen to your Momo restaurant playlist just for fun. I, and I'm, I'm going to state the claim right now that for many years, people that made playlists for restaurants just stole our playlist. I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. But listen, We'll see. We'll see when the voting all shakes out whether me and my sorority sisters come out on top of this thing because that is who my list is for. I knew you were Tridelt. I always knew you were Tridelt. <laughs> I rushed Tridelt. I didn't get it. <laughs> but they'll all be up by the time this episode gets in. You're are you are you committing to your best of Steve Miller? Or are you going to do a little bit more? Uh, I don't know. The Joker's such a strong song that I don't know if I need to have any other song. Just on repeat, ten plus no, one. No, just one. That's it. One song is good enough for eleven songs. No. I will be upset if that wins playlist of the summer. Dude, if you're so one good. song, you're just Steve, so Steve Miller. I mean, <laughs> both an indoor and an outdoor summer song. Yeah. You're going to put, you're probably going to put Oasis, like a song from Oasis or some bullshit, like champagne supernova. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> what is, what makes champagne supernova? Not a summer song. It's put an a end, song by the Beatles on. It's an end of summer song. No, I know Beatles on mine. No. 
Speedles aren't a summer band to me. <laughs> this is based on nothing. But this, it's a vibe. I want to see. I want to see how this shakes out. I'm just... My, I, I so still I can't believe... Is there anything on here that you respect? Let me see. I didn't understand. I mean, like, you are that much of a Billy Corgan fanboy. I used to have a picture of Billy Corgan on my my binder in, in um, freshman year of high school. What the fuck is happening here? Uh, gin and Juice, summer song? Snoop no. Dogg? How is Gin and Juice not a summer song? No. Explicit lyrics. Uh, I've got a little Paul Simon, me and Julio, down by the schoolyard. No. <laughs> Toots right. and the Maytals? No. Jimmy Sorry. Cliff? Fine. We'll see how this shakes out. Try it else. <laughs> Roll out. <laughs> All right, we'll take a break. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. So the last episode, I, I claimed my stick mm. on the burger dip mm -hmm. and I want royalties. For all burger dip things. By the way, the Supreme Court just ruled on against um, copying artists. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to do that anymore mm -hmm. because you're not getting paid. It was an Andy Warhol uh, painting about Prince that caused this whole thing. Um, the Daily on the New York Times had a had a good podcast about it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's. It's in line with the conversation we've been having. Just want everyone to know the Supreme Court sides with me. <laughs> in case you're wondering, yeah. yes. The ultra conservative Supreme Court sides with hey, <laughs> Elena Kagan, who's a liberal, wrote the majority opinion. Yeah. Mm, okay. Fair yeah. enough. Fair Take enough. it easy. Take it easy. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Also, Supreme Court Justice Roberts went on the dissent. So you're basically conservative now, man. I agree with it. I'm, not, I'm just saying. 
All right. So anyway, I, I laid my claim to anything that's a burger dip. You're going to get cups that are disposable that you can peel off and dip a burger in. You're going to see it at restaurants. You're going to go to TGI Fridays. They're going to have a burger dip. A lot of them is going to start with the burger jus. Then you're going to have ramen dip. Then you're going to have, you already have ramen dip with sukema, but they're going to have like different broths. Then you're going to see some stupid ass person on TikTok put like a shin ramen packet. Look, look, I took a Big Mac and I dipped it in shin ramen. Viral. <laughs> Viral motherfucker. <laughs> More TikTok should end with the creators going viral. <laughs> That's the secret. All right. I believe it. I believe it. But, you know, whoever was the first person to like do something like that, right? You know, going back to the first person, whoever it was, whether it was an in and out employee or not, the first person that created protein style. Hmm. We got to create, this is a, a new segment here on the DC show. The greatest of all time, Hall of Fame food moments that have been, you know, this is almost like a Howard's Inn history of the <laughs> an eater's guide to the yeah, United States. Yeah. A, a diner's a what are these? Are the these are the Hall of the juiciest moments in history that have been long looked over. Yeah, this is the Hall of Eating Fame, the Hall of of culinary. And the, and the first person, I'm not talking about the first man that roasted meat and wrapped it in something. Sure, right? sure, sure. We we can't figure out that. We're talking about the last fifty years, right? Mm-hmm. Whoever did iceberg lettuce and put a burger in there, like you know what? I don't need the bun. Mm-hmm. I could, that that whoever that was. There's legitimately just one person did it first. That person should be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. A bronze bust should be made of this. Person. I like this. I like this. This is like that old what was that Bud Light campaign of just the Hall of Hall of Fame moments. Well, I I just want to say you know who really invented the first lettuce wrap around me? It's the Korean people. Yes. All right. Yeah. Korean people should as a whole be bronzed. And put in the Hall of Fame as a collective. Let's bronze all Korean people and put them in. What do you think? I like this. I like I like this a lot. I like that we are talking so far about eating moments. About somebody having one thing and another thing and saying, huh, what if I ate it like this? I think it's separate from culinary cooking innovation. Because like, let's go back in time. We're eating at In-N-Out and you're like, you're in LA and you're you're trying to watch what you're eating because you're figure because you're an actor in LA and you gotta you gotta be you gotta you know yes yes I'm very familiar with this yes of course. you're competing with Tom Cruise in Risky Business in like the early eighties clearly you didn't get the that role. was a tough that was a tough part to lose but yes yes and you're like man I I, I can't give up carbs mm-hmm. but I I love burgers I need a compromise ha ha <laughs> I got an idea I want to put it in. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the count and say, Hey, can you withhold the bun and wrap it in iceberg lettuce? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to call it protein style. Let's speculate. Do you think it was a innovation that came from the customer side or from the kitchen side? Either or whoever did it. So let's just, again, so let's just say we were the friends at in and out and I did it. Or no, you did it. And now, you know what would happen 30, 40, 50 years ago? Be like, you loser. (laughs) 
You're a loser. <laughs> right. That would happen today too, but yes. You're such a loser. It's from you can't eat a burger with bread. You hate bread, you loser. Right. And would I You get tooled on. Would I stand down or would I stay No, but like maybe you it's the same thing. Like the Krona could have been invented many, many times in history, but it took one person to be like, fuck it, I'm just gonna do it. You probably had a many moments where you were just the wallflower. You know what? I want to do it, but you were just too shy. Mm. And then one day you mustered the courage. You're like, fuck it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask for protein style. And we all laughed at you. And we were like, you idiots. It's so stupid. Alternatively, we could have so like a regional manager go to in and out headquarters. I got this idea. I think we can sell a burger off the menu called protein style. We can use the outside shell of lettuce that we're discarding anyway, right? They probably were laughed at too. Uh Uh-huh. So how does it become as ubiquitous as it is? And people forget about that, right? Probably the first person that made, um, I don't know, let's just say, like, anything was probably laughed at. Mm Mm-hmm. Peanut butter and jelly. I'm going to take that cow over there, and I'm going to I'm going to pull on that thing. Let's blow it. <laughs> You're going to pull the dangle bunnies? Are you serious, <laughs> yeah. dude? Do not touch those. And then I'm going to drink it, dude. Yeah, probably people were like, "What the fuck?" That is disgusting, man. That's disgusting. But truthfully, like when you think about certain foods, the people that have been long forgotten, mm. the first person. We haven't even gotten, don't worry about milk chocolate or dark chocolate. The first person, yeah, you know, probably Aztec or Mayan yeah, that took a chocolate. That took a crazy alien looking pod. So do people know, stop. If you don't know how chocolate's made, look at the fruit, chocolate fruit first. It's absolutely bananas looking. It looks like something straight off of Pandora from Avatar. It lo- it's like an alien egg sack. I mean, it looks crazy. It looks like a giant, swollen, alien scrotum. Did you just say alien (laughs) scrotum? That sounds gross. I mean, it it looks, it does look like an alien scrotum. (laughs) I had to be reminded about what an alien scrotum looked like. And it's terrifying. Yeah. But then within it, it's this giant, like, Sigourney Weaver-like pod. Yeah. You crack it open, and it looks like molded corn. Yes, it looks like... Like hominy. Weed la coche. Yeah. It's not particularly... I've never even tried fresh chocolate fruit, have you? Yes, it actually is pretty delicious. It's pretty delicious. It's, like, it it's tart. It doesn't taste anything like chocolate whatsoever. No resemblance whatsoever to chocolate. So, for a long time, people were just like, whoa, I can suck on this thing. Exactly. And I have tart tart fruit but it doesn't taste like chocolate whatsoever just tastes like right you know sour sour fruit totally tastes like alien (laughs) alien scrotum alien scrotum now it probably wasn't just one person let's just assume it was one person but clearly it was like a a a a lineage of people that must have taken it to this point or maybe not maybe it was one genius it was like you know today we we have Albert Einstein, like this motherfucker created the theory of relativity, figured out there's gravity, right? 
maybe back then, wherever the cho- chocolate was, where was chocolate invented? I think in Mexico. Yeah. Was it Aztecs? I think it's Aztecs, yes. But they just, one, one or a group of geniuses. It was 4,000 years ago in ancient Mesoamerica. So 4,000 years ago, theoretically, people could have been going around being like, that's like Einstein, right? There's a person like we call someone like, if you saw Albert Einstein, like, that's fucking Albert Einstein, right? Right, or they were using his name pejoratively yeah. like, to insult their friends, be like, nice job, Einstein. No, but like the equivalent of, right, this person. This is the person that invented chocolate. Yeah. That's fucking chocolate, dude. That's, that's what it was. You know, mm-hmm. what I got around, like this fucking lunatic figured out you can take these seeds, yep. ferment them, yep. roast them, right. grind them up, <laughs> extract the fat and the oils, then combine it with water, or water milk, or milk and sugar, and you get this chocolate bar. And it's also delicious and savory foods. Yeah. To be able to take that fruit and then to be able to turn it into something that is edible in a completely different state, there may have been mind-altering drugs involved. Yeah. This is the, what is the theory of, of like, humans took a huge cognitive leap because they first started eating mushrooms. It's a good idea. <laughs> but like, the stone honestly, ape. Yes. Yeah. Imagine if there's one person that invented that, and be like, that motherfucker's Einstein. That would be the equivalent. Right? Yeah. I mean, across, I mean, chocolate is one thing, but if you look at just, strands of wheat who said you know what i can do this much stuff to it and grind it into flour and then it will become that, that of... doesn't impress me <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't that impress, impress me. you at all in fact if you speak to some uh, evolutionary biologist they'll say the domestication of grain was the single most horrible thing that humans ever invented so i'm anti-agrarian <laughs> <Okay>. societies <laughs> all right you're anti-agrarian society Hey, fuck that. (laughs) Okay, we're an anti-agrarian podcast now. So, yeah, that's an incredible moment in in history. Uh, I I think these these genius moments happen all the time still, though. So I'm going to give you my first, like, if my my first real Hall of Fame ballot, sure as shit, no Mm. question in. And I'm going straight to France, unfortunately. Mm. Ah, I'm not a Francophile, but this is the, the genius of this warrants it to be my first ballot Hall of Famer. Okay. In the holy fuck, this person's been forgotten. Okay. The lunatic genius that invented puff pastry. <laughs> so if you don't know how puff pastry is made, yeah. you, you make a dough and then you sheet out butter or some kind of fat and then you basically keep on doing that and it's called lamination of the bread. But it's actually a mathematical formula. Every time you fold it over and then fold it over again and sheet it out and fold it over again, you're going to get a specific amount of layers. How many layers? I can't remember. Because you know what? Truth be told, I've never made puff pastry in my life. (laughs) I wouldn't think so. (laughs) I uh, skipped that week in cooking school. (laughs) Sure. But it is a... Because every time I look at it, I'm like, I ain't making that shit. So this is a little different than the eating eating Hall of Fame. I've laminated dough, but it's never been like, uh, look at this. I'm going to make it a viral fucking croissant. But this person, this person or persons, this genius no, that you're identifying, person. this person is as much like to your point is as much a like an engineering mind as anything else. 
I'm serious. Yeah. It's like, you know, put it on the grand pantheon of great ideas, like next to like the, 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 the I don't know, the lever. You know, Archimedes crew. <laughs> it's on the same level as the lever. Okay. Yeah. The the pulley system. Like shit like that. It's like, holy fuck. That's so smart. Yeah. I know this seems like hyperbole, but if you really just stop and think about it, some person was like, I wonder if I do it this way. We're going pre-cronut. Right. A few hundred years pre-cronut. Right. Well, the, the innovation there is... You know, a dough, you think of a dough, and you're just like, let me throw a bunch of stuff into this thing, mash it up into a ball, and then put it out there. But this person said, what if I could, what if I can just tr- manipulate this by layering flat fat in between thin layers of pastry so that when the butter melts, you have these open pockets of air and a flaky crust? That is, yeah, it's a stroke of genius. It's a stroke of genius. Well, with the advent, inventing, <laughs> Invention of the internet. We don't have to speculate about who we don't this have to was. speculate who it was. Who is this person? Claude Gelet. Claude Gelet. <laughs> Welcome. Puff pastry was supposedly created by French painter and apprentice cook Claude Gelet in about four, 1645 when he accidentally created a laminated dough when trying to make a form of rolled butter cake for a sick father. See? You didn't just make up a French sounding name that's a real person, Claude Gelet. Gelet. Okay, welcome to the International Hall of Culinary Fame. The pastry cook had seen him make this preparation and told him not to bake the loaf, so he was an apprentice. This is why I say there's something to be learned from home cooks. Oh, and he was getting shouted down by his master. I swear to God, people laugh at me, or my friends laugh at me because I say, like, I like to look at what home cooks do because it's like drunken master. You don't know. They're, They're so untrained that they do something so unpredictable. Counterintuitive. Counterintuitive. That it starts a revolution. It's it's novel and it's new, because you just get so insular. And I I had actually no idea. So he says he was an apprentice. He was trying to make a rolled butter cake, and his supervisor said, "Do not bake that loaf because the butter would run out of it." Claudius, stubborn as he was, sales decided to bake it, and they were pleased with the result. <laughs> Claudius. All right. Congratulations on, on your, your first. He was not a mathematical genius, but he was a dumb, dumb. (laughs) Yeah. Here we are. Dumb stubbornness. That's basically what it is. Here's our, here's the, here's the five minutes leading up to the real fact was some incredible genius. I think I literally said, uh, an engineering mind (laughs) created from the future. What if I manipulated this? No, it was a dumb, dumb who made a mistake. Fine. Claudius Jelly, the first inductee in the hall of fame for doing something unbelievable and being stubborn enough to listen to authority and say, fuck you. I'm going to cook it anyway. <laughs> Good for you, Claudius. <laughs> way to be a maverick. And way to lose hundreds of billions of dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> for not being able to patent it. <laughs> Let's, uh, what, what do you got in the eating, the, the player front, an eating practice that you salute? Along the lines of, of of the lettuce wrapped protein burger, I don't have that. What about our old pal Walter Green? Oh, you know what? Does he deserve 
I, here's Special the thing, Walter Green. If you don't know who Walter Green is, wonderful il- illustrator, good friend. I worked with us at Lucky Peach before he got too famous and decided not to work with us anymore. You know that's true, Walter Green. You've forgotten about us, small people, Walter Green. <laughs> None of that is true, but I, yes, he is, a, he is a good friend and a, in and a old... big head now. <laughs> big, giant head. But for good reason. Talk about HR Otto. <laughs> big old head. But for good reason, because he he had an innovation that I I, uh, I, so, I believe deserves. Again, Walter, I don't I don't think you understand. This is revisionist history. Chris Ying takes full credit for this invention. I am not taking credit for this. I am fully You've giving this. Definitely taken it a lot many times that you did it. Yeah, maybe other times. Okay. <laughs> Only now because the camera's on. So, folks. I've said this before, and if you don't understand, don't remember it, let me tell you that this is one of those moments of like, holy fuck. When I saw this, I, I looked at you in a whole new light. You eat a burrito, right? Because in the Bay Area, burritos are a thing. In fact, I was part of the 538 burrito judging competition where we gave it to... Uh, uh, El Castillo, is that? No, but what's the other one? La Taqueria? Taqueria, yeah. Anyway, you take a burrito... And you eat it over a plate of tortilla chips. And you eat it haphazardly. Voraciously. Yeah. Ravenously. Yes. You, want, you, are, you are trying to get all the filling everywhere. All over the place. But not on your face. You're trying to be like Jackson Pollock with the food. And have all the, the detritus like just fall onto the, not, the, 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 the tortilla chips. And then you have... Bonus nachos. Ah, it's a wonderful innovation. It's a wonderful. The problem is, you never came up with a name. That's why it's never taken off. I know we don't have a name for this move. Not like a nice protein style, like puff pastry. Yeah, protein, protein style. style. You can... need it. It's really important. The marketing of it's important. It's true. Again, you know, in uh, in business, timing is everything. If you're wrong on timing, you're still wrong. If you don't have the right name to market it, it's not a. It's a really great idea. Poor execution. Yeah. Some somebody's going to come up with a name, and then suddenly they're going to be the ones who invented spillover nachos. That's right, Cronut. Great name, spillover nachos. You should have come up with that, but it doesn't make sense. You need a better name. Try harder. Okay, I'll try. But I I think that deserves a place. What else you got in your Hall of Fame? This is something that probably gets overlooked. Whoever the first person was that created modern day pizza. Again, we all take it for granted now. Yes. We know that the tomato was introduced to Europe in the 15th century. Mm -hmm. Didn't, I think from the records, didn't really get to Europe till like the 17th, late 17th century. Was regarded as possibly poisonous. poisonous. Yeah. So no one really, it just sort of sat dormant, which again leads to my theory that it came to China first and China invented red sauce as we know it today. Yes, a the uh, a theory that people have yet to prove untrue. Untrue. It's, a po- it's, it's possible. I mean, China did create most things in antiquity, so like I have a hard time believing that they. Oh, did they it. just missed tomato sauce. Yeah. Okay, okay, that's likely. like they weren't. Uh, 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 <laughs> listen, like Italy, what is just like a fraction of like barbaric city states. <laughs> they didn't have any organized cuisine at the time. I mean, it's true that you know what? If you look at it, just statistically, statistical probability, China invented no, that was Rome. 
<laughs> that was the Gauls. And no, no, no. The, but the city, like until what? Busy like, Gauls. The, the, the I have 19th no idea what century. I'm about. <laughs> Italy was a bunch of city states. I got to play Civilization. <laughs> That's his conclusion. Not I got to read a book. I got to play more Civilization. China responsible for so much uh, innovation in the ancient world. Oh, and Italy just happened to get tomatoes. Get anyway, no one's disproven my theory that Asia invented the tomato sauce as we know it today. <laughs> yeah. Nobody. Nobody's disproven. Come at me, anyone that wants to disprove me on that. There's no evidence to support me otherwise or to contradict me. No, there is. <laughs> there is no evidence to the contrary. Yes. Yeah. I don't know how, how hard people are, are looking. But well, they need to look. Well, they're not looking harder because it's true. Anyway. Tomatoes. So, how long did it take for someone to say, you know what? I'm going to bake a, a, a yeasted dough and I'm going to put that tomato sauce on. And not only that, I'm going to put cheese on top of that. And I'm going to put some basil on top. I'm going to bake it together. Then, I'm going to put some olive oil on top. Hmm. You take that for granted, but whoever did that combination first, and there certainly was the first person to do it, they were like, I ain't in that shit. <laughs> yeah, I it like took it. some convincing. It's like, why would I put, again, tomato was not a thing. Right. Tomato is from America. Yeah. Not from Italy. I don't give a shit about Roma, Roma tomatoes. Sure. That bullshit. I'm just saying, like, if you really empathize, you try to think about a few hundred years ago, the first person to put tomato sauce on bread mm-hmm. and then melt cheese on it with herbs, they were probably laughed at. You think they were laughed at? No, they were like, I ain't eating that. Yeah, I mean. Their initial reaction was, I'm not eating that. I've never seen that before. You're like, I heard that tomato's poisonous. Mm. It'll kill you. Yeah. And put that on pizza put that on bread you're crazy yeah i mean and then just the combination of if you think about it i'm 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 digging into it now a layer of tomato sauce pureed tomato and then cheese on top which is the most natural thing in the entire world tomato and cheese together at first that's crazy that's why that's what i'm saying yeah totally natural to us now was not back then somebody decided tomatoes and cheese like just simple combinations that we take for granted there was somebody that put peanut butter and chocolate together. I'm like, that was pretty good. There's somebody that put hazelnuts and chocolate together. Pretty good. Yeah. But I'm sure people are like, hey, try this. Oh, that's weird. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I say this in jest, but no. Hey, when I was a kid, I used this symbol. Try this seaweed. It's called kim. I ain't going to eat that. It's lame. And look at all these little white kids eating it now. Right. I mean, it makes me think of, see, that's why I love the, the eating part, uh, flame and hot, whatever, right. Is you is everywhere. Now there's flame and hot everything, but that was somebody working on the factory floor at Frito-Lay who was taking Cheetos home and mixing spicy chili powder on themselves. Like, I love that. Just, I'm not even there yet. I'm still a few hundred years ago, Chris. I'm not jumping. So the pizza inventor. Do you, do you see any innovations in pizza consumption? No. I really have been thinking about this. The person that probably first tried to put it together was some kind of, you know, visionary at the time. Mm-hmm. And was like, I believe in this. And probably was the initial first few pizzas were like, 
That looks weird, dude. I mean, like, remember, oh, going even back, the first person that melted cheese, mm. they were like, that don't look like cheese no more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to, you putting, you're, you're picking like grass, you're putting that shit on the pizza, I ain't eating that. It's interesting. I think that, um, I think you're right. I think that, I think sitting here from our, our modern perspective, the idea, oh yeah, I'm sure nobody, nobody would have laughed at pizza. Pizza is undeniable, but really somebody had to be the, the first. The tomato was considered poisonous. And it was not our, consumed for like a hundred years. It lay dormant in Europe. Right. right? And in our experience, in China, the first, <laughs> in our experience, the first time somebody does something, they get laughed at. Very, 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 very seldom is someone to do something for the very, very first time. And everyone is immediately going to recognize it as genius because people are afraid of the unfamiliar. I mean, again, I think accidents play a big role in most of these things, but guess what? Accidents created uh, penicillin. So like can't throw it. Part of being accident prone in a good way is just putting yourself in the right position. It's like in sports. It's like, I think that I think there's it's yes accident being open to making the mistakes, but you know there's also a degree of necessity that plays into a lot of these too. Some so of these like the origin of nixtamalization of corn, right? I, this is where I wonder: do I put that in the the goat territory? I don't know if I do. It's a fucking unbelievable invention, right? You take corn, dried corn, and you mix it with lye. Yeah, which is like. This to me deserves a place though, because yeah, so you, you nixtamalize by mixing it with like a, a base like lye, which breaks down the corn and then allows you to make masa, makes tortillas and, and everything that comes from masa. But the reason why I do think you should include this is because this is what I'm talking about. It's one made of necessity because nixtamalizing corn unlocked the nutrients that people needed in corn, unlocked niacin, which is, was essential to the diet. And so, like, this is an invention that wasn't necessarily just a mistake. This is something that said, "Hey, we're gonna we need to we need to use this food stuff. We have so much corn. We need to we need a basic sustenance that will give us the nutrition we need. What if we treat it with lye, and it becomes edible and delicious?" And again, without knowing the history of it, maybe the lye came from ash or like the the alkaline water, which changes the pH balance. I feel like the nixtamalization of corn is very similar to the alkaline noodles in Asia, hmm. where the reason why, as genius as this are, is, right, and the, the al- changing the pH of wheat noodles raises the gelatinization point of the wheat gluten structure, which makes it more chewy so it doesn't disintegrate. So, if you, for example, if you cook soba noodles, which has like a, a lower percentage of wheat gluten, it's very fragile. Right, it it will disintegrate, which is why I like it uh, cold uh, than in a hot soup because it just disintegrates. And you can cook these ramen noodles at a higher temperature, and it will stand in a hot broth. I have, you know, I think it's very similar. Again, the armchair sort of anthropology, food, etc. Here, but I would imagine, you know, three thousand, four thousand years ago, whenever it was, it's like, hey. Um, that 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 town near Beijing, man. Like, Grandpa always says, they make the best fucking noodles. Yeah. Like, we're 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 in, 
like sh- closer to Shanghai, our noodles suck. Mm-hmm. But like my mom's relatives, whenever we go visit, the noodles are so good. Yeah. You know what? The reason I say that, that's exactly, I'm sure, how it happened. Certain provinces in the world had higher, like lower pH balanced water, more alkaline based water, where they mixed it in with their wheat, it created a more they would make resilient their, yeah, dough. They would make their noodles from the water of whatever lake that happened to be very alkaline. And before anybody th- like thumbs their nose at this, uh, how many people have said New York bagels are the best because of the water? That's exactly the same point, right? <laughs> right? People say this shit all the time. So imagine, it's like, oh, like the food's so much better here than it is over there. You think that this reaction that we're talking about is new? <laughs> right. You don't think that 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, human beings weren't saying the same shit? Yeah. Man, the food was way better over here than over here. Yeah. This specific food is better here for a reason, right? Like that's, that's the, the basis of all of this stuff. I think, I think you're and that's why about. I don't put nixtamalization of corn or alkaline noodles as brilliant as those are in the same vein as, you know, it's not while accident, it wasn't like a singular thing of like, mm. like creating chocolate or this Claudius jelly guy. <laughs> so some recent ones I'll, I will put up there and I want to, I want us to discover them are Caesar salads. Cesar Ritz is mm-hmm. a recent invention. For those that don't know, that was invented in the Ritz-Carlton, like the 40s, I think, in Mexico City. Caesar salad. It's like the salad that everyone eats. Mm-hmm. Anchovies, lemon, mustard, egg yolk. Do we have, do we know what happened? Do we know if that was a, I think it was one of those, something. There was nothing in the, in the pantry. Yeah. I put in that same, this is going to get me in trouble with people. And I'll just say it though. I put in that same sort of uh, vein, chicken tikka masala. <laughs> I put it in there. It has become everywhere. It's obviously invented it's in the national dish of of Great Britain of England. But it was, you know, literally somebody who uh, just ran out of shit to make and was like, "Oh, let me let me for- make, make this the tomatoes and cream and garam masala." Yeah, but I don't put it that like. I love chicken tea masala. I know, but Caesar salad is something that you would not normally put together, right? Parmesan cheese. Here's the thing. People might assume that it's got to come from Italy, but no. No. It's a Mexican dish. Yeah. That's true. Uh, Caesar salad. Buffalo wings. I put it as very different than chicken tikka masala as well. What makes you, what makes you feel like Buffalo wings are a stroke of genius or a stroke of. I'm sure it was the same thing. I got nothing. I got a fucking, you know. Yeah. I got all this butter. I've got all this hot sauce. I'll, I'll tell you one that this is probably seems very commonplace and we'll move on. Cause I don't think anyone listening is like, gives a shit about what we're talking about. It's just dawned on me. Yeah. I think people are like, yeah, big deal. I, so what? I eat chocolate all the time. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I eat tacos all the time. I don't care. When I start my car, I don't care who created the electric engine. You know? I don't care about... I like to think our audience is a little more curious than that. I don't think so. They're just... I mean, okay, maybe not. I don't think so. Especially reading our Discord. <laughs> Which you should join by visiting MajorDoubleMedia.com. But I will say, 
Think about this. Things that would take commonplace. Okay. The first lunatic that decided, I'm going to put peanut butter and grape jelly together. Because that was an American invention. Peanuts. Okay. Think about it. Yeah. Someone brought that to school or someone was like, taste this. What's that? Peanut butter and jelly? It's, it's, you know why it's a genius move? Because people have been trying to one-up it ever since. But imagine that first time. I, there was a period where we probably could have gone back and talked to the first people that actually were offered the first peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And you know what? Like, you guys may laugh at this, right? But like, Vincent Van Gogh couldn't sell his paintings. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Like, literally, one person... He came from an insane asylum. Like he tried to give it to like like one of the tenants. They were like, "I don't want this." He couldn't even give away his art. Like so, you laugh. You might be laughing, but I, I think about these moments and I, I I meditate on this sort of as a as an exercise to like recalibrate how I think about what is possible moving forward. So an idea that puff pastry. I'm sure that could have happened in the 1200s, not in 1645, in the 1300s, because maybe that moment in time could have happened several times, at least a hundred times or something like that, where an apprentice working in a bakery was like, what if I just, I'm just going to put this together because uh, I'm lazy and I'm going to, you know what? I'm not going to bake it because I'm being yelled at because they're saying that it's all going to melt down. I'm just not going to even try it. But that one person that did it changed the way we eat desserts and a lot of breads. The laminated dough was created that day. So there are many ideas where you think about, and we talked about in the commencement speech, that you think is a bad idea and you laugh at. Mm. And I bring up Kim, the Korean seaweed, as a real example because I remember very clearly being made fun of and now I see it omnipresent and people eat it all the time. Americans eat more sushi across the board than I could ever believe wrapped in essentially the same thing. Mm. What has changed here? So I'm sure that these ideas that you might have listening right now, like I got this great idea for a sandwich. I got this idea for a new dessert. I have this idea for a new restaurant where I'm just selling lollipops filled with foie gras, whatever. Sounds like a stupid idea, but you don't know until you test it out, test your hypothesis, get some data and move forward. Because I'm sure the first person possibly I could imagine making a peanut butter jelly sandwich was trying to give it out like Vincent Van Gogh giving out his fucking paintings and nobody wanted it. Mm -hmm. And maybe just shelved it. Yeah. They're all laughing at me. They're going to think I'm stupid. And this is where we can channel our Jerry Saltz here. It's like, you got to like, Tune out your inner demons and your harshest critic a little bit and just fucking go out there and do it. Do your stupid things. Put a stupid dish on the menu. Do something a little bit different. And this is going to lead into a, a, which which we're not planned on conversation with AI. It's like, this is how you can be the glitch. This is how you can do something that's not expected of you. Don't edit in your head. Don't anticipate what other people are going to say to prevent you from trying something. Like doing this segment, for example. <laughs> Don't stop the audience not caring. Don't let that stop you. I would just, I, that's beautiful. And I think, I think that this is the stuff that I know you live for. I, 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 when you pilot these moments, they're 
real thought provokers for me. I think that, you know, the other part you talk about in your commencement speech is just a lot of them are just going to be bad ideas, but that's okay too, because I think equally deserving of some recognition are the first person who was willing to take a, a try a bad idea. So the rest of us didn't have to. So somebody in history in prehistory, some, some Neanderthal ancestor was the first one to say, is, is mud edible? <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> can I eat this? <laughs> no, don't. No, now we all know we don't have to eat mud. But if it's edible soil from a three mission star restaurant, yes. <laughs> it's made from olives. Um, I mean, I remember when we, I came up with the idea to do the Momofuku Co. in the reservation system. Again, if I wasn't searching an artist and we just focused on the reservation system, we could have sold that for half a billion dollars. <laughs> we just gave it away. Um, but I remember very clearly because I got a lot of calls from media and many, many, many angry people telling me in 2008, you think people are going to go online and make a reservation? They want to talk to someone on the phone. <laughs> I was called everything. On a, I, there's no, no joke here. I'm not gaslighting myself. This is every kind of name on our voicemail. A lot of, of crazy curse words. Hmm. People were so fucking angry because you couldn't get in. It was like the most impossible reservation to get. And I just remember thinking like, why would you want to speak to someone on the phone? Just to be told that you can't get a reservation. Having answered phones, right? I remember trying to get a table at the French Laundry and being told, Waiting three hours to be told, hey, um, in three months, we have a table for you at 5.30 p.m. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's not worth me waiting three hours to be told that. Not being, being treated poorly on the phone, waiting, waiting, waiting to be told, oh, we don't have a table for you. Right. Stupid. And I was like, I was telling this to people like, why? Don't, because you know what they said? We'd rather hear it from a human being. Then reading about it on a computer. And I remember thinking like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? And it was very new. I, I don't know for sure, but I think we were the first people in uh, certainly America to do it all online. Yeah, you had open table, but they weren't doing it like we were doing it. But part of your, part of your thesis also, which was, which was impressive for, for me from afar, was you were also saying, this is actually the most egalitarian way of doing it. Listen, you can wait on the phone for somebody to lie to you because they don't know who you are and they're not going to give you a table because they're holding 84 tables for people of note. Or I can show you the reservation book and you can see exactly where there are slots and nobody gets special treatment. And again, there's just many times in my life, in my career where people are said, that's stupid. You're wrong. And you know what? My percentage chance is way low on the things that I'm right. But I just want to encourage people, if you have a bad idea, that's actually maybe not a bad idea, but a really good idea that just needs some data to support it, go out and test it. Don't just complain about, I can't believe no one's believing me. I can't believe, just try to find a way to test it, get the data, build up the new model and test it again and test it again. And like Dan, the torpedoes to some degree, because almost everything we think to be delicious today, I would bet. So much fucking money hmm? that it was laughed at and ridiculed. And I've seen it in my own life with very recent foods. So you're telling me that the first person that made pizza was like adored. Right. The first person that slapped peanut butter and jelly together in a sandwich was like, check this shit out. 
It's awesome. Everyone's going to be eating it. As much as much speculating as we're doing about the history of these things, it human is, patterns don't change, <laughs> man. Nature doesn't change. It is a hundred percent true that every single thing we eat today, there was a time when we didn't eat it. Like there was a time before we ate everything we eat today. People didn't eat the tomato because they thought it was gross and it was poisonous. Yeah. So there was a moment for every single thing we eat today where somebody had to eat it for the first time from the simplest to the most complex. So, you know, I agree. I, th- I think explore bad ideas, but also don't, you know, this is, you know, we're doing, we're doing the whole recap of your speech, but the other part about it is you've got to be willing to have, let, let, let a bad idea go after long enough too. like, don't hold on so tightly and just find the data that's going to support your perspective. Like be open to ideas, but also be open to the fact that you might just be fucking wrong, but also be open to the fact that they might be actually wrong. And you should actually just continue <laughs> to quadruple down on that fucking idea. So don't listen to people like Chris, just put your Viking hat on yeah. and just keep on doing it and doing it. Cause make honestly, your way to DC. you have to be a little bit like, off the reservation sometimes. Yeah, I should say, if you believe in it, if you and your heart know something to be good, that's that's evidence enough to, to go. And that's all I want because I was I was thinking about us talking about a, bur- a burger teppanyaki spot. Listen, that's not new. But charging, you know what? I was thinking, what if it's not? You have a place in uh, Kyoto called Monk, right? And a lot of people love it. Uh, my wife just came back. She had a great meal there. And it's like a five-course tasting menu. But you get like a few courses, maybe raw fish, whatever, seasonal, and it leads up to your own pizza. If somebody said that <laughs> here today, it's like, hey, there's a pizza degustation menu. Well, you may laugh at my hamburger idea. Guess what? People are saying it's like one of the hottest fucking restaurants in Kyoto right now. And the only reason why it might be cool now is because somebody you trust comes back from Kyoto and says, this restaurant monk is like the coolest thing I've ever been to. Now, all of a sudden, it's acceptable. So you can either ride the wave or be the fucking engine that creates the fucking wave. And I just want to see more new shit. Yeah. So do I. So do I. Right? And I just see people opening up and I understand why. It's hard to deviate from the norm. It's hard to sort of go against the grain sometimes. But there's a lot of really cool ideas out there that I'd love for not just myself to explore, but everyone to explore. And just don't be afraid that you're going to be laughed at and ridiculed because most definitely you will. Which is why oftentimes I might throw out an idea. The first kid's like, what about this? And if the instant reaction is like, you fucking dumbass, I'm like, that gives me like spinach power. <laughs> That's so stupid. Why would you do that? I'm like, oh, like I, I get it. I get a thrill from that. No, I have to do it. Right. Because I want to see, is it actually a stupid idea or are you fucking stupid? Mm-hmm. Or is the reasons that make it stupid just, you know, uh, totally arbitrary rules and regulations, right? The pizza <clears throat> degustation is because that's not how you eat pizza. You're supposed to eat pizza this way. In this occasion, again, if I make a hamburger tasting menu, it could be like garden salad with ranch dressing, but like the best garden salad with ranch dressing ever. And then it could be like, you know, ramp, ramp rings, <laughs> you know, you know, like, you know, battered whole fried ramp. I don't fucking know. Ramps are in season and 
And then you're just like, you know, a couple other things, and I'm just making a burger. How would you like your burger? Do you want it fatty? Do you want it this? Do you want wagyu? Do you want the grass-fed? Or what kind of cheese do you want? Customize it. Boom. $80. I would go for I was thinking about it. I was like, I think $50, $45, too low. I think you could do $80 for a hamburger tasting menu. And not a tasting menu like you see that's a three-hour menu. This is like 60 minutes you're in and out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would eat that. I would eat the hell out of that. Yeah. All, all our all our ice cream we make, we only have two flavors. We've got a vanilla, a chocolate, and a seasonal. But the reason, so what you're saying right now is like the is is, is the essential of the whole thing, which is <laughs> every piece of evidence tells you that this would work because people love burgers and they love they love these flavors and they love these things. Changing the context, changing the order, what, what changing they might, how you do it. What they may not have is somebody that's making the burger. That knows everything about it. Yeah. That can tell you that these sesame seeds were sourced from, you know, I, you know, West Africa and the bread is single or whatever. And you don't have to explain that story, but if you care about it, it's going to be a different context. Then I can have a conversation like I'm talking to a sushi chef. Remember at one point, sushi was considered a joke in Japan. It was street food. It was garbage. Now it's, Rarefied air. The highest of the highest, yeah. Who's to say then in 60 years, the hamburger couldn't be considered the zenith of fucking cuisine here in America, which it probably already is, quite frankly. Right. But it was born from this certain context and it's being stuck in that context. I was I was thinking about this. I was having a conversation last night. We were at the uh we were at the Lakers game and uh this you know, this is gonna air after this is determined, but it it looks like the finals are gonna be in Miami. And uh, I was asking Chris Chen, I was saying, what are the restaurants in mind? What's, what are like the go-tos, right? And he was saying, I mean, just everybody goes to Carbone. It's just Carbone, you know, Carbone. And I was thinking to myself, second, maybe first in popularity in this country, Italian-American. But Chinese-American is right there. But every time we try to, every time the conventional wisdom says, oh, if you're going to make a higher-end Chinese restaurant, a a uh, the carbone of Chinese American food. You have to change the food completely. <laughs> you have to change it from what people like into some sort of crazy, quote unquote, elevated, different, deconstructed version of the food. And I think that's like the reverse. That, that's something I haven't seen in this country really, where we have this other restriction telling us, oh, the only way to do that is to change the food completely. But wait, people like sweet and sour pork. People like spaghetti and tomato sauce. People like fried rice why can't we just do that but change the context and they say no 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 you have to change it you know speaking of again not to make another relation to the nba finals but the miami heat you know as much as i've been weirdly rooting for other teams like you gotta admire that an eight seed that has almost on paper people say has no talent compared to the other teams has beaten the one two they're beating like all of these amazingly better talented teams but what they do have are a bunch of undrafted free agents and like a different way of playing ball. They're playing zone. They have Spolstra, who's the best coach. They're doing it differently than the current way that anyone else is playing. You have to admire that. And now maybe people try to recreate that. They're going to try to recreate the heat model, the heat culture. But guess what? You can't because it's specific to them. And if that doesn't make any sense, it's like, and this is what I wanted to get to with AI. You saw some crazy shit the other day with AI. 
what was it without explaining with the company? Basically, AI will just take in your article, your video, whatever it is, and uh, from anywhere and spit out a summary, a you know shoulder content, a quick version of the same thing. I think for sure, having now spoken to some people and the more I've dived a little bit deeper into this, if AI is one of the things that's a sticking point for the current writer strike, if AI is going to... You know, I talk to artist friends. They're like, "Holy shit, man! This is going to put us all out of the job." Yes. So, sorry. I just to, just to put a fine point on it. This was the other thing that AI can do in, in this demo is it'll create an image to accompany whatever the thing is that you've put in there, and this image will just be it, it's not a real image. It's a composite of ten thousand images of whatever the thing is. Just some new quote unquote new image that's based on all the stuff that's out there. So this is what, and again, like, I guess this is something that we've been doing a lot more of predicting, but not this is a prediction. Like, this is a guarantee I know that it's going to happen. You're going to have, because AI is going to get better and better and better as it becomes smarter and more, gets more data on the world at large. It's going to have every order that's ever been done from like all, across every purchase of food, every current menu, every article that's written, every... Elite Yelper, it's going to have access to every bit of information about the food everywhere. And it's going to distill that. And it's going to be able to accurately write a menu for what's hot. What people are going to want per demographic. Not so different. And again, like Spotify, Netflix with the algorithm. Like, again, my algorithm is a lot of like action adventure shit and nature documentaries. My wife doesn't get any of that shit. It's specific to me. You're going to have restaurants. I know that there are going to be restaurants. If people are hiring consulting chefs to write menus today, and guess what? If you're not aware of this, most restaurants actually hire consulting chefs to write a menu and then put a team in place to execute that menu. If I'm a consulting chef, I'm saying goodbye to my job. Say goodbye to your job right now because it's going to be gone in a couple of years. Guarantee. So if consulting chefs are going to be on, that means restaurants for sure will be using AI to write seasonal menus. I mean, we think about that. It might hire AI to write the menu as a template, as a start of where to go. He's like, hey, you know what? What should I put on? You know, you read about uh, these ingredients hot this year and this trend is hot. You know what's going to know it beforehand is the AI chatbot. So restaurants unequivocally are going to use AI to write and dictate menus and trends moving forward. Right. I see that as clear as day. Consulting work is going to disappear. Mm -hmm. It's going to get extremely accurate. Mm -hmm. You're going to be able to write tasting menus it's going to think about wine list. If I'm a sommelier writing a wine list, for the exception of the very top tier, your job's probably going to be gone. That doesn't mean you can't be a sommelier and work in a restaurant and explain and serve, but curating lists, that's going to a lot, a lot of people. So you, I just want people to start to think about the role that imp, the impact that AI is going to have in the culinary world. We're not talking about food writing because that's, we, we know that, 
right now. If I, people look online right now to find, they use Yelp to just give me an idea or something, get the phone number, whatever. Like you're going to find some kind of new way of finding the restaurants that you want to eat at. It's going to be regurgitated. Yeah. I don't know if that scares you. Yeah. But without me having the evidence to support this, my fear in all this, because I think it's also very cool and terrifying simultaneously, but my fear is, I don't know if AI will eliminate any of those possibilities of the peanut butter jelly moment, the moment someone created chocolate, the moment created someone puff pastry, because is AI going to be that overbearing supervisor that says, don't do that, that's stupid. It's going to yeah. eliminate all those possibilities and we're just going to have the same shit. Right. Which is why I just want people to like quadruple down on the bad idea right now. Because right now, before we've reached the singularity, AI's, AI is based on existing knowledge. Existing the intelligence knowledge, it has is... It's coming exists. from the current internet and the data that people are plugging into the internet and all their devices. But what it doesn't have is access to what happens if and, uh, yeah this. and i spoke about this before like why i'm positive like i'm optimistic it can't account for your point of view and what you're going to do in the future and your beliefs so you know it's like we need more of that individual perspective more than ever right now people need to start doing it right now i mean the window is closing people <laughs> you've got to do it now <laughs> I, again, like I, I think this again puts a premium on experiential restaurants. Mm-hmm. Restaurants are going any, anywhere. Robotics are definitely coming. I think Sweet Green just has their first robotic shop. That, yeah. Again, if it's a binary zero one operation, I think that's not an issue. So this puts a great. This is only going to accelerate the the great great divide between. The, the have and have nots, mm-hmm. right? The small, super exclusive restaurants, the large, grand, very experiential, expensive restaurants that are very cool to be seen at, they're going to do better and better. It's going to be harder to crack into that. Everything in between, why would you want to go there? You know, because it's like, it's just going to be this stuck in the middle. So, I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about AI because there's been a lot of that conversation. And I've been trying to just figure out and distill what does that mean, at least for the food world. And I was like, oh yeah, for sure consulting chefs are gone. Wine lists will be created. How that affects food media. I think lists are going to be gone. A lot of like best of shit that we talk about, which is why we want to eat at the restaurant next door to the restaurants Mm -hmm. that are on these lists. Um, it's interesting. I mean, the, the blueprint you're laying out is basically something that has already existed in all sci-fi movies already, right? When the machine is after you, when, when, when Skynet is chasing you, the only thing you can do is zag when it thinks you're going to zig. <laughs> Just yeah. to do the unpredictable shit. That's the only thing you can do and to again, avoid getting ta- caught. Talking to someone in this field, they were like, well, we're going to be able to program that too. It's going to be able to anticipate that. But between now and then, However long that is, it's like, right. this is an opportunity. In the folks. next 90 days before they catch up to us. 
I think it's an opportunity to create something new and to do something that hasn't been done yet. And again, just to reference that daily pod, and I don't know if I agree with the take, but you know, they, they, they concluded that the glass is half full on the judge, the Supreme court's ruling that, you know, you're not able to sort of copy art the way you used to. I mean, that's still yet to unfold, but that's what I think legal scholars are saying. Um, people haven't sued quite yet. Um, that you're going to have a whole generation of artists that are no longer going to be self-referencing to the culture that came before it. They're going to be forced to create something new. I think that's the same for the culinary generation. And I'm looking forward to that. So it's not just like another $35 hamburger that's on a menu. It's going to be a new way to sell that hamburger and a new story that's personalized in a way that no one else can do. And here's the thing. If everyone does that burger, because if, if one burger teppanyaki spot works, you're going to see a lot more. But maybe it will only work because you're using that specific cow from that region in your town, that cheese from your local producer. So in some way, I hope that it creates, you know, these little pockets of... Yeah. Just we, we, we have to find our niches as, as, and be as specific as we can be. That's it. Yeah. Hopefully that catches on. I mean, it, it, and listen, there's like urgency. I, I sense urgency in what you're saying. And I think it is urgent. We've talked about this before. When we were making our show for Hulu, this was all speculative. It was a joke that there might be an AI that could do this. And that was 18 months ago. And now it exists. And another 18 months, who fucking knows? So this is, there's urgency, really. Because we'll get swallowed up real fast. But I think it starts with celebrating those those little dumb moments of first person to do X, Y, or Z. You got to recognize that. There's so moments. many of them. Yeah. You know? First person that put a pickle on a chicken sandwich. The fuck would you do that? That's stupid. So you are you optimistic that there are more of these moments to be discovered then? I don't know. But what I do know is this. There are too many moments where someone has an idea and someone says, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? And that person gets discouraged and quits. Yeah. Yeah. We could have had puff pastry 200 years earlier. <laughs> if only dumb, dumb Claudius. Yeah. <laughs> so there's just, that's all I wanted to say. We were supposed to talk about East Coast, West Coast summer foods. and We got more summer, summer shit coming. We got more summer, summer shit. Summer's, summer's long. We got more summer shit coming. And, uh, Vote for my Major Dumb Media playlist. It's the greatest hits from the Steve Miller band. Abracadabra, very underrated. Tridelts, <laughs> unite! All right, give us five stars. <laughs>